Well, turning your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15 is our text for this morning. And I want to read these words as you turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. As we begin, this is the word of the living God. Titus chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I met with a longtime friend just a couple of weeks ago to just catch up on life and hear how he and his family were doing and he got to hear how we were doing and just a good time of reflecting upon the past and funny moments and stories that we had of our interaction together as individuals and as families and all of that. And at the end of about two and a half hours of, of talking and discussion, he said to me as we were hugging one another and saying goodbye, he said, Kempis, above all, he said, be faithful. He said, be faithful in the ministry that God has called you to be invested into. And those parting words were precious to me because I'm probably not going to see this individual for the most, uh, most likely um, for the rest of our life. I'm sure we'll hear about each other, especially with social media and all of that and just our ways of communication and everything, facilitating communication. We might be able to um, touch base again, but most likely not. And so those parting words were very, very precious to me. And parting words are always important, aren't they? Uh, most often than not, they, re- they express... Something that is in the heart of someone that they don't want you to forget about. That they want to leave you with. And that's what we have here in the parting words of Paul to his young partner in the faith, Titus, whom he hopes to see, because Titus is uh, uh, um, waiting to be relieved of his duties on the island of Crete. But what we have here is these parting words to Titus that at first glance, they may seem to us somewhat mundane or maybe unimportant words, but upon closer examination, as we want us to see this morning, there are some important things that we need to glean from and learn from these words. Preliminarily, we, we might say that as we look at these verses, verses 12 through 15, we learn that, that ministry is about people. All throughout this text, we see people, Artemis and Tychicus, and of course there's Titus and to whom Paul is writing in the book. We see in verse 13, Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos. And we see our people being mentioned in verse 14 that must learn to engage in good deeds. That is all believers. And then Paul in verse 15 says, All who are with me, Titus, greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith who are with Titus. And grace be with you all. We learn from these words that ministry is about people. People impacting one another. We also learn that all Christians are enlisted in the grand enterprise of advancing the gospel, of progressing the gospel on this earth. Their connection, all of these individuals here, is the gospel of of Jesus Christ. That is why they are even interacting. That is even why Paul is writing to Titus, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there there are all these believers investing themselves in the grand enterprise of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we also learn that in this grand enterprise, we are to be working together. We are to be in partnership for the progress of the gospel. All of these people mentioned here. 
The only reason why they can work together is because of the fact that they are partners, co-laborers in the progress of the gospel. We understand partnership, don't we? Some of you have had business partnerships, or maybe in your corporation or in your business, you have a particular goal to accomplish, or you you enlist certain partners, uh, individuals who are gifted and and, and experienced maybe differently, uh, stronger in certain areas than you are. And so you're going to work together with them in partnership for the purpose of accomplishing one common goal. I talk about partnership in terms of our marriages, our marriage partnership, where even in marriage, the, the wife and the husband may have distinct roles and responsibilities within that marriage. But ultimately, they are in partnership to accomplish one common goal. And that goal is to reflect in their marriage Christ and His church. And so they are in partnership with one another. Well, it's no different in gospel partnership, beloved. It's no different in gospel partnership. Each of us have a role to play as Christians in accomplishing one common goal, and that is to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. We are gospel partners. And that is what I want us to consider this morning. That just like in the secular realm... An effective partnership that is going to accomplish um, a particular goal needs to have members who are, who are uh, fulfilling certain requirements and responsibilities in an effective, faithful way. All the more when it comes to Christianity and our gospel partnership on this earth, if we are going to be those who honor the Lord, who are powerful witnesses in the world, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we are going to benefit one another and benefit, be a benefit to our society around us, then we too as gospel partners must, must meet some necessary requirements. Cultivate certain mindsets individually and corporately if we are going to be about advancing the gospel on this earth. And so I want to talk to you about how to achieve effective gospel partnership as believers as we look at these verses here. And I think this is a great pertinent um, topic for us in this brief time. Because here we are together corporately as, a, as one body. Typically we're in two services for those of you who are visiting. But here we are in one, one unifi- as one unified body hearing the same thing together. Being reminded that we are in gospel partnership. Hearing testimonies about the gospel of God saving grace in people's lives. Being reminded about people who want to commit themselves in partnership with others to raise their kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. We are in gospel partnership. But see, there are also two types of people sitting in this worship center today. There are those who are passive spectators. And then there are those who are active participants in the body of Christ. There are those who are passive spectators. Maybe you're going through the motions in your life. A message like this is very foreign to you. And maybe you don't see, or maybe you don't see necessarily your, your, uh, how you can be used in this body in an effective way. Maybe you don't think that you are, that you are really able in this body to, to help other people given your own sin and your own struggles. For whatever reason, you are a passive spectator. But then there are others of you who are active participants who are very engaged in following Christ, who are very engaged in the lives of other people, who are very much about the the gospel mission of Jesus Christ on this earth, and you're chomping at the bits constantly to serve Jesus, and you are always available and always seeking to be faithful, even in the midst of your struggles. And so the question that I really want to answer for us is this. How do we move from being passive spectators to being active participants? 
How do we move from, from simply going through the motions, at least functionally, to being those who are pursuing Jesus aggressively and passionately with other people who are doing the same? How do we do that? I want to give you four requirements here of gospel partnership, all right, if you're taking notes. First of all, gospel partnership requires humble submission toward God. Humble submission toward God. We heard it again and again just a a few minutes ago in testimonies and in Pastor Alex's testimony. The time when they finally realized in that moment when, you know what, I am living half in, half out. And I need to completely be living my life for the glory of God was the saving moment in their lives. Humble submission toward God. Let me ask you this morning. Are you committed as an individual, as a Christian, that whatever God requires of you, you desire to do that more than anything else on this earth? Can you say this morning, I am here in this world to do whatever God has called me to do, regardless of the cost, regardless of the energy and the time and the resources that serving Christ is going to take? Can you say that in your life? We glean this humble submission and and just sold out kind of mentality from the first instruction of Paul to Titus, where we find some individuals... If you notice, we're willing to do whatever God called them to do, even if uncomfortable, even if unconventional by the, by the, um, uh, the, the, uh, um, the standard of the world around us. You have Titus, who Paul writes to, who left his own family, his own livelihood, his own place of upbringing to serve alongside of Paul, to be trained by Paul over the years, and then to be left by Paul on, the, on a challenging place such as the island of Crete. To do what? To establish the churches there in such a difficult environment. To train people. To train leaders. To refute and confront error. To teach people concerning holiness and godliness. To be invested into one another. To live displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very wicked and perverse place like Crete. Titus was a man sold out in humble submission for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was never designed, the design that Titus would stay there for the rest of his life. He was to be relieved, if you notice verse 12, by either a man by the name of Artemis or Tychicus, these gospel partners. Paul says to him in verse 12, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Titus was to be relieved by either one of these two individuals. We don't know anything about Artemis except that he's a very capable man who Paul trusts, he's reliable enough to take the place, such a prominent place on the island of Crete that Titus has been, has been uh, functioning in. He's very reliable, trustworthy. Tychicus appears some five plus times in the New Testament, and Tychicus was the all-around faithful servant. If you remember, we, we expanded uh, on Tychicus in our study through Colossians chapter 4. And we talked about the fact that he is a, the all-around faithful servant. He saw, served as Paul's traveling companion. He was Paul's errand boy. He was probably the one who delivered the letters of Ephesians and Colossians. Tychicus was a man who served as an interim pastor. If he's the one that's going to go and relieve Titus on the island of Crete, that, that wasn't the first time he's going to do this. Later on, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is going to call for Tychicus to go relieve Timothy in Ephesus so that Timothy can go be with, with, with Paul in his latter days of life. Tychicus served as a courier of key information regarding Paul. 
Tychicus was a man sold out for the progress of the gospel, and so was this man, um, Artemis. Humble men submitted to the Lord's will. One of these men is to arrive and is to relieve Titus. He says, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis when one of these men arrive, for I have decided to spend the winter there. This is where Paul had resolved in this place called Nicopolis to spend the winter, probably for strategic ministry purposes. And he longed for Titus's company. He longed for Titus to, to be there with him as his gospel partner. But that took other humble servants like Artemis or Tychicus to arrive and relieve Titus. And then being willing to do that. And that's what we glean, beloved, from verse 12. That Christians are characterized, such as these individuals, by an, an absolute humble submission to God's will. If there's something to be said about believers, disciples, followers of Christ, is that life is no longer about you. You are no longer the center of your universe. No longer are you searching for fulfillment in the sins of this world. In possessions, in riches, in sexual immorality, and all of those things. But Jesus is the all-satisfying one in your life. And you're willing to do anything for Him. Titus had done that. He had submitted himself to the Lord as Paul had left them there to, do, to advance the, the gospel on the island of Crete. Artemis and Tychicus were men submitted to the Lord's work to the extent that they were willing to go to a place such as Crete and leave their families or whatever, whatever livelihood they had in their particular comfortable contexts. Paul had done the same, which is why he describes himself in chapter 1 verse 1 as a bondservant of God, a slave of God ready to do anything that his Savior wanted him to do. In fact, from the very get-go, in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, when, when Paul then Saul had a collision with Jesus Christ, a con he was converted, changed, he was saved. From that point on, when he had the collision with Jesus Christ, he was willing to do anything for Jesus. Even if that, if that meant that all of his accolades and popularity as a Pharisee of Pharisees was completely stripped of him. Why? Because Paul was a broken man who recognized that Jesus Christ had forgiven him of his sins. He who had been a persecutor of the church now could actually serve the king of the universe. That's who Paul was. And this is where submission comes from, beloved. When we recognize that we have been forgiven of much, that we could not save ourselves, that our works were not good enough, that our church attendance could never save us, that our upbringing didn't save us, but that only the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross could save us, and that God in His great love and mercy indeed put His Son on the cross in our place for our sins, taking upon the wrath that we deserve for our sins, and we turn from our sins and trust in Christ alone, we recognize that God has been a merciful, good Savior, hasn't He? And we're willing to do anything even at personal loss, to serve Him. Anything. See, for some of you, you have not come to that great place in your life of brokenness before God. You have not come to that place where you recognize that you are a sinner who has no hope of salvation apart from what God has done 
in putting His Son on the cross for your sins in your place. If you would only turn from your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can be rescued this morning from the power of your sin and the penalty for your sins that you deserve. Some of you have still not made that commitment. And I say to you, that's where humble submission begins before your Creator. And recognizing that you need to be rescued from your sin, from your destructive, harmful sin that is ruining your life and those, uh, the lives of those around you. And you may be deceived this morning thinking that, no, I am finding fulfillment, listen, for a time. For a time. Maybe those things are satisfying you for a time. But they cannot ultimately satisfy you. And the least of your worries is what you have accumulated on this earth or not accumulated. The greater worry that you should have is what is the state of your soul and where will you spend eternity apart from your Creator in hell or in fellowship with God, your Creator, who loves you and who has put His Son on the cross as proof of that, that if you turn from your sins and trust in Him, you can be saved. Oh, I plead with you that if you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ this morning, that you would not leave today without doing that. That you would not... That you would not neglect your soul. For others of you who are believers, my burden for some of us is this, that we have grown cold and indifferent to our need to live for the glory of God. That we have grown cold and indifferent and we have forgotten the, how, how merciful and gracious God has been to us. And why has He displayed His grace and His mercy toward us, beloved? So that we might live for ourselves? So that we might live for our purposes. God has been merciful and gracious to us so that we might serve Him. That we might love Him supremely. That we might love His people. That we might be willing to do whatever God has called us to do. Listen, this is the mindset and heart of someone who is committed to partnering for the progress of the gospel. A person who is completely sold out to Christ in the light of what He has done for us. And you will use your resources and you will use your spiritual gifts that God has given you and you will use your abilities and your family and your possessions and your time and your energy for the supreme purpose of advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. If indeed you are grateful for His saving grace in your life, if you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord, so true gospel partnership, effective gospel partnership in our lives requires humble submission, but also, secondly, loving generosity. Loving generosity. That is with our resources. You know, it's quite one thing to say, I am humbly submitted to the Lord. I want to do everything that He has called me to do. It is quite another thing to actually put your resources, your money, who you are, your possessions, your family, everything that you have in this world to direct everything for the greater progress of the gospel. To commit all of those things to the Lord. We know that God owns everything as Christians. Amen? We know that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Sometimes He provides in very miraculous and unordinary ways. But more often than not, He uses means, beloved. He uses means. And His primary means are His people who come alongside of one another to be generous with their time, with their energy, with everything that they have for the advancement of the Gospel. And this, is, this loving generosity is what we glean from Paul's second instruction in verse 13. Look there. 
Titus and the church were to help certain individuals, gospel partners that were going to pay them a visit. He says, diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. This is the only mention of this man by the name of Zenos in the New Testament. He refers to him as a lawyer, which either meant that he was a Roman litigator, but more likely he, he was an expert in the law of Moses. Whatever the case is, this gospel partner Zenos had now was using everything that he had for the greater progress of the gospel. Again, he was... Obviously a very capable man because he was traveling with one mighty man in the scriptures as Acts chapter 18 verse 24 puts it, Apollos. Apollos. A man that Acts 18.24 says was mighty in the scriptures. A man who was taken under the wing of that mighty couple, if you remember, in Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila, who, who helped train and equip this man, Apollos, for ministry and show him the way more completely of the gospel. Apollos was a very influential servant of God in the early church, especially in the church at Corinth. And so these two men are ministry partners who are going to stop on the island of Crete. And it's very possible that they might have been the couriers of the letter to Titus. We don't know that for sure. What we do know is what Paul encourages Titus and the congregation to do. What is Titus and these Christians to do for these men? Verse 13 says, diligently help them diligently help them that is earnestly eagerly passionately send them off with whatever is needed for their trip this required loving generosity on the part of titus and those believers right but it also required having a mindset and a perspective that they are they were part of the team these these men that were coming through That even though they weren't part of the local churches on the island of Crete, they were part of the great enterprise of the gospel, part of the team, the gospel team, if you will. And as such, they were interdependent. These individuals depended upon the believers on the island of Crete. They were co-laborers and co-sharers. And as such, they needed one another. They needed one another. And so they are to eagerly, passionately help them. Why? Look at verse 13. So that nothing is lacking for them. You saw the same terminology back in chapter 1 and verse 5 when Paul says to Titus to set in order what remains. That is what is lacking in the churches on the island of Crete. And so Titus in the same way was to oversee these men, that oversee that these men who were laboring for the gospel were cared for sufficiently and provided for. What was the nature of this provision? Well, the same terminology is used in other places like Romans 15, 24 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 11 to speak of the, of the spiritual, financial, and a material provision that Christians ought to provide for one another. It's comprehensive. Whatever they needed, whether that was spiritual or material or whatever, whatever resources these individuals needed to continue to do the gospel work, they were to provide that for them. You know, we have our, our, our beloved brother, Pastor Tim Carnes in the Philippines right now, doing ministry. And he is laboring over there. I've read the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the updates, and I heard from his wife last Sunday night about Tim and what he's doing. Listen, he is laboring for the sake of the gospel. He is training men in that environment. And the last thing that Pastor Tim needs to, needs to be doing in the Philippines is worrying about what he's going to eat, right? The shelter, Worrying about anything regarding physical or material uh, needs that he may have. So what are the people uh, on the island of the Philippines and all of those individuals doing for Pastor Tim? They are providing everything that he needs. Amen? 
And that's what is needed in any context, isn't it? You know, we have short-term mission trips um, as believers here at Calvary that we go on and we lead. And in every one of those contexts, beloved, every single one of those teams that I have ever led or been a part of, the believers in those foreign countries, especially those third world countries, no matter what they lack, they are always providing for the needs of their brethren who are visiting them from America. Helping them with anything that, that, they might, that, that might be needed. And that's the mentality that, that Paul is, knows that Titus has even here on the island of Crete. He is building on a mentality that they already have, that they're co-sharers and co-laborers in this gospel work. See, our attitude should not be a reluctant one in helping other brethren, whether here or in foreign countries. In fact, notice that Paul doesn't have to persuade Titus of that here, of helping these brothers who are coming through. Titus and the churches don't look at these individuals and think, you know what, why should we help these guys? They don't go to our church. Isn't this freeloading? Haven't they made ample preparations to support themselves? Not doing that. Paul says, be lovingly generous. Help these brothers on the way as they are investing into the progress of the gospel. That was their attitude. They understood their responsibility as partners in the gospel to be generous. Paul had trained Titus in that, hadn't he? Titus understands the worthiness of the cause of the gospel. And so because Titus and these other Christians are committed to the cause of the gospel, helping these individuals who are coming through there, though they might not be a part of that church or those churches, makes all the sense in the world. Why? Because of Christ who shapes everything that we do. Amen? Because of Christ. Because they have their sights set on kingdom work. And you look, beloved, at the, at the testimony of the early church. Just read through the early chapters of the book of Acts. Acts 2 and Acts 4 and the reports of the, of the churches growing uh, and, and, and those coming to know Jesus Christ and being edified there. And how they were willing, not coerced or forced to give to one another, but even out of their own material possessions, they would be collecting offerings so that everybody was cared for. They were lovingly generous people. And Paul, in his missionary journeys, all you have to do is read the book of Acts. And often read about how Paul would collect offerings from different churches so that he would be able to deliver those offerings for other churches that needed, such as the church of uh, Jerusalem, that needed just the, the basic necessities of life. As our brother Alex said earlier, one of the manifestations of our loving generosity is even in the way that we give to this body, right? Are you a person who consistently, joyfully gives to this body? Because you recognize that ultimately you are not giving to this body or this local church, are you? You are investing into God's kingdom work. And you recognize that, that, that you can, if you invest yourself into the, the things of this world, these things will decay and pass away. No matter how nice your new car looks, it will not look that good forever, right? No matter how nice your house looked at one point, you know that there's maintenance required. Things on earth decay, don't they? And so we need to be lovingly generous, investing into those things that have to do with the gospel, with kingdom work. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. But 
Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, where where you store your material possessions tells a story of what you worship, of what you value. So in gospel partnership, there is humble submission And then in response to that humble submission, we are willing to practice loving generosity, spiritually material toward one another as we care for one another. But thirdly, I want you to notice, it should go without saying that thirdly, gospel partnership requires selfless sacrifice. Selfless sacrifice in verse 14. Paul has beat the drum throughout this letter, so I won't do it again. And we've beat the drum in this pulpit that genuine Christians must not be people who are characterized by inactivity, passivity, complacency, lethargy toward God or towards the needs of their brethren, but they are to be devoted to doing good for others to the glory of God. Amen? And here again he says in verse 14, if you note with me, Our people, by which he means these believers, must also learn to engage in good deeds, specifically to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Notice he says, our people must learn to engage in good deeds. That's comforting to me. Because one thing I know about myself is that it doesn't come naturally to me to want to do good for other people. Even though God has been so good to me. Our natural tendency, beloved, is to be selfish, to be self-serving, to be self-preoccupied. But it should be so comforting to us that as Christians here, he says that, that they must learn to engage in good deeds. In other words, we can learn to be selfless and to sacrifice. You can learn to quit making yourself the center of your universe, in other words, right? How does this happen? By exposing yourself to the truth. By opening up the pages of the Word of God and being reminded of how you need to lay down your life for the Lord and for other people. But then also, by applying the truth that you hear. That as you see the pages of Scripture and you hear message after message about how you need to be practicing the one another's and and investing yourself into the lives of others, you need to put that truth into deliberate application. You need to apply it. You need to live it out. That's why Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, verse 8, that, that those who have believed God must be careful to engage in good deeds, chapter 3, verse 8. That's the idea there of, of considering, pondering, being deliberate about how you will care for other people around you. It takes careful consideration to be mindful of other people. So they are to learn to engage in good deeds, to be people who are selflessly sacrificial kinds of people. It means to, in verse um, 14, this idea of to engage in good deeds means to make it one's business to be a good doer. To be devoted to doing good. And we've seen all throughout the chapter 1 and chapter 2 how people are to be devoted to godly character. Why? So that they might be an example to others and do good for the glory of God. God's people are to be known for doing good that God may be glorified, not for personal accolades, that the gospel may be displayed, as even Pastor Alex was saying earlier. As we do good deeds, the gospel is put on display before the world so that God is glorified and people wonder, what is it that makes you so different in my work environment? What is it that makes you so different in my neighborhood? What is it that makes you so different in our family? 
Well, your love for Christ and your commitment to make Him shine, right? By your good works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify you. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That we might bring glory to God. That is the purpose of us engaging in good deeds, doing good deeds. But notice that He says... More specifically, in verse 14, that they are to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. To meet pressing needs. You know, oftentimes we think that, that it's only doing those big things, those, those, from a human perspective, radical good things that God requires of us. Maybe go to a third world country and relieve suffering and hunger, or maybe die a martyr's death for the sake of Christ. At this, those are the only things that really glorify God. Can I remind us this morning, everything that you do that might be considered mundane in the eyes of the world, everything that you do to sacrifice for somebody else, beloved, glorifies God if it comes from a motivation to honor the Lord. Amen? And he says, let them learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Those things that have to do with practical, urgent needs. Those things that have to do with the necessities of life. Those things that are indispensable for survival, such as food, clothing, shelter, those things. This has nothing to do with meeting pressing needs that have to do with luxuries of life, but with the basic needs of life. Those things that people need for survival. Believers are to be engaging in meeting those needs. For the Cretan Christians, a visit of Zenos and Apollos provided a very visible, practical opportunity for them to meet pressing needs, right? Right? to feed those individuals, to provide shelter for them, to provide any spiritual counsel or an encouragement that they needed. That's what people are to be devoted to. This is one of the reasons why I love the Gospels. I love reading the life of Jesus Christ. This is why after the, we do a summer series on the book of Psalms, we're actually going to go into a gospel beginning in the fall. Because we want to behold the, the beauty and the, the person and the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the gospels. Because he was the ultimate example, beloved, of a self-sacrificial servant. Amen? The ultimate example. Clearly, Jesus' merciful character gushes out in the gospels. It gushes out all over the place. He was a caring, selfless, sacrificial individual. He cared for widows. He cared for orphans. He cared for special needs people such as paralytics and the deaf and the mute and the cripple. You know all this. You've read through the Gospels, haven't you? He cared for the poor and the destitute. He fed people who were hungry. He visited and healed the sick such as Peter's mother-in-law and others who were sick and ill with deadly diseases. He relieved, relieved people from demonic activity and indwelling in their lives. Jesus was one who reached out, beloved, to the least of these, and He reached out to the brokenhearted in our world. He was the most self-sacrificial servant that has ever walked this earth. He was a merciful servant who came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. It says at the end of Matthew chapter 9 that he felt compassion for the multitudes because they were like sheep having no shepherd. And that word compassion there is one of the strongest Greek words of heartfelt love for, for people. He had tender pity for those people because he put them, himself in their shoes. They were spiritually bankrupt people. And their outward appearance only pointed to the fact that they were spiritually bankrupt. 
And he had compassion for them. He was the ultimate example of selfless sacrifice. And of course, his ultimate goal was that these people would come to know him by faith. That as he did these works, these genuine acts of mercy, that they would come to realize that he was the Messiah from God, that they needed to trust in alone for the salvation of their sins. Christians must be like Jesus. We must all be like Christ. Selfless, sacrificial servants for others. And and notice, why are they to learn this in verse 14? Why are they to learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful? Our Heavenly Father is so thankful that you are a part of His family, believer, Christian, child of God, but He wants you to be a fruitful child. Amen? He wants you to be productive, using your gifts and your abilities for the edification of His people. In fact, one of the very purposes for our redemption, according to Titus chapter 2, verse 14, is that, that we would be zealous for good deeds. That we would be diligent and eager to do good. Consequently, let me say this to you. If you are not characterized and devoted to doing good for others, considering how you might come alongside of others to care for others, listen, you are being unfruitful, and you need to repent of that before the Lord. You need to confess that to the Lord and be renewed again to realize that part of you following Jesus Christ is that you would be committed as an act of worship and gratitude to Him to be doing good for other people and meeting needs. Meeting needs. And please remember, you don't selflessly serve others and do good works to be saved. We've learned that, haven't we? Salvation comes only by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said on the cross, upon his death and yielding up his spirit, it is finished. We cannot add anything to the work of Jesus Christ, any good work at all. Only in Christ can we be saved. And what he did, his perfect life, his atoning death on the cross, and his glorious, victorious resurrection by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, not our good works. So you don't do these things to be saved. Furthermore, you don't do these things to remain saved if you're a believer. You are protected by the power of God for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. The root of your security, your justification before God is the atoning work of Jesus. So anything that you do is a response of gratitude and love to your Savior. Amen? And you don't do it to climb the ladder in the church. You don't engage in good deeds and care for other people so that you climb up to leadership. You don't do it for man's approval. Why do you selflessly sacrifice? You sacrifice for Christ. Because you love Him. And because you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love drives obedience, beloved. Love drives service. Love drives submission to the will of God. And this is the the root problem for many of us and why we are living life so selfishly, doing nothing for anyone else, doing nothing to care for others. The root of the problem, beloved, in our relationships and our selfishness is that our love has grown cold. For many of us, this is the problem, whether it's not doing good in our marriages, for our spouses, for our children, in the church, In the world, 
in our job environments, in our neighborhoods, not engaging others to do good works, to meet their needs. All of the, the absence of those things, beloved, is the problem is, is that our love for the Lord has grown cold and therefore our love for other people has grown cold. And we need to return back to that basic reality. You know, people often think that the opposite of love is hatred. But do you know what the, what the worst type of, of lovelessness really is? It's complacency and indifference. Complacency and indifference. The opposite of love is not just hatred. It is complacency and indifference to the needs of others, whether in the church, in our communities, in our world. That is a huge problem for us as believers. And we need to ask God, oh God, Give me a greater love for you and appreciation for what you have done so that I would be mindful of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ all the more and and mindful of those who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, who need to be rescued from this perverse generation, who need to be rescued from their sin and your coming wrath. Oh God, give me love for people and compassion, tender pity for others. That is the core of our problem, beloved, our lovelessness. And our lack of self-sacrificial service for others. Finally, gospel partnership requires humble submission, loving generosity, selfless sacrifice. And finally, it requires a communal perspective. A communal perspective. That is, we live with the recognition that it's not just about us. It's not just about my family. It's not just about making ends meet myself in this life, spiritually or in every other way. It's about the church. It's about the people of God. There's a bigger, grander picture that we keep in mind, a greater framework. As Christians, beloved, we are a community of believers. We are a spiritual family, you understand, with one heavenly Father. But the problem is, is that as Americans, our mindset becomes very indivi- or is very individualistic. And we import that autonomous individualism into the church and autonomy becomes the name of the game for us. And we must be people who do not import our American into the church, but we are believers who recognize that we are a part of a spiritual family and that informs the way that we function and operate in this country. Amen? The gospel shapes every aspect of life. And so I know that this flies in the face of our individualistic, autonomous mindset. But what you notice here in this last verse and what we glean in verse 15 is that the apostle concludes his letter with beautiful greetings. And we are reminded of the fact that their connection and why he can even send greetings and receive greetings is their connection as one community, as one family of God, though they are in different locations of the world. Look at verse 15. All who are greet me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Paul was never alone. Paul always had people around him. And as he writes uh, to Titus to greet the brethren on the island of Crete, he says, all who are with me, Titus, greet you. Most likely Artemis and Tychicus are with him. Possibly others are with him. And though in the New Testament we read about this great apostle Paul and all of his accomplishments by the grace of God, notice, beloved, that Paul was a needy man just like every single one of us who needed people for encouragement and fellowship. And indeed, he had those people even as he writes here. 
Even our Lord Jesus Christ always had people around him, didn't he? Yes, he had those times when he, when he went away to pray before his heavenly father, to his heavenly father, but he always had people around him. He even had his inner circle of individuals whom he surrounded himself with. And beloved, I want to remind you this morning that each and every one of us needs other believers. We need one another for mutual encouragement, for comfort, for friendship. This is why again and again we encourage you as your shepherds, we encourage you from God's word that you can't function or live like an island. You cannot be isolated from others. Our triune God has not created you to be this way. Neither is that, is that his nature. He has created us so that we would be interconnected with other people. That we would plug in into the lives of others and invite others into our lives. It was so encouraging last Sunday night to hear the testimonies from brethren here in our congregation of how they have invested themselves into others in the body of Christ and how others have invested into them for the glory of Christ and for the edification of one another. How encouraging that is. I pray that some of you would, would have been compelled all the more to recognize the fact that you need to be in the lives of other people and vice versa. Stop ignoring the word of God. Stop ignoring the call of discipleship. That is a call to follow Jesus, but it's a call to follow Jesus in community with other people who are also children of God, just as you are. Stop ignoring the scriptures, beloved. Stop being disobedient. We've heard that call again and again, haven't we, in Titus chapter 2? That we are to be displaying certain characteristics and cultivating certain character. Why? So that we might be an example to others when we need to invest ourselves into other people and vice versa. We are a community of believers, a family of God. Now notice in verse 15, as we conclude here, not only does he send greetings from those who are with him, but he sends greetings to those with Titus. Verse 15, greet those who love us in the faith. In the faith, that is true believers, those who are a part of the family of God. And note that there's a mutual love for one another. He says, greet those who love us in the faith. The word used for love there is the word from which we get Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. The love of friendship. This is a, a love that is a deep inner affection for others that looks to benefit others, to do what is intrinsically beneficial and good for others. These believers love Paul and their fellow gospel partners. And then he ends essentially with a prayer. He says in verse 15, Grace be with you all. This prayer is for all believers on the island of Crete as well as with Obviously, those who are with Paul, he reminds them of the basis of their salvation and their communal love for one another, the grace of God. And the book of Titus has been such a, that's been such a huge theme in the book of Titus, hasn't it? The grace of God, that is God's unmerited, undeserved favor given to us in Jesus Christ. Paul prays all the more, grace be with you all. The same transforming grace that has been such a theme that is to be the driver and the foundation of all of our godly conduct, Paul says, he reminds him of that grace. And so he ends the way that he began with grace in chapter 1, verse 4, and continued with grace throughout the letter as he encouraged them to godly conduct because of the gospel working in and through their lives. They needed to understand the grace of God in Christ Jesus all of the more. At the end of this letter, beloved, we're reminded that we are all bound together by the same indestructible, marvelous grace of God. Amen? 
We are one community of believers, co-partners, co-laborers in the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reminded, Lord, as you've already reminded us by the testimonies even earlier of your transforming work in the hearts of our brethren, that we are reconciled to you and that we, beloved, are reconciled to one another because of that in fellowship with one another. And that on this earth, we are partners in the progress of the gospel. Oh, Father, help us to count the cost of what that means. Help us to be people who are humbly submitted to your will, willing to put everything that we own and have behind that, willing to be sacrificing and considering how we can self-sacrificially serve others. And help us, Lord, to remember that it's all because of the fact that we are one in Christ. Oh, Lord, do this amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.